0: Uh, I made this remark at the beginning of the service. I'll make it again for those who uh, have joined since the welcome. Um, this, this Sunday happens to be my final Sunday with the opportunity to preach, at least for the foreseeable future. Bob wouldn't let me say um, that it was my final sermon because he said, he said during the next pandemic, you're going to preach on Zoom a lot. So... <laughs> um, So I I will, you, you, yeah, I will, I won't be a stranger, but it's my last sermon for now as, um, in this, this next coming month is sort of a transition month for our family. Um, our passage, our second, uh, second lesson this morning, I, I, I say that mainly as a heads up for, you know, you know, there's a fair chance I'm going to cry. Uh, there's a 75% chance that Bob or I are going to cry at any given sermon, um, and slightly higher chance today Um, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord continue to walk in him rooted and built up in him established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving watch out that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental principles of the world and not according to Christ For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by the removal of the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you. In matters of food or drink or of observing festivals, new moons or Sabbath, these are only a shadow of what's to come. But the body belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels' initiatory visions puffed up without cause by a way of human thinking and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with the growth that is from God. Carly sent me her reflection um, last night. And I was reading it this morning and reflecting on the symmetry Between what we're sharing, Um, they're very similar reflections, both involving emails to Bob's. Um, I had never had an anxiety attack until January of 2015. I'm retelling this story that I've told multiple times on my last Sunday preaching because my story of being a grace begins with that first moment of panic, that I was blindsided by. Sonia and I were living in D.C., but we were in the process of making the decision about whether we would move to Chicago for Sonia to pursue her master's degree at the University of Chicago. And how and why that particular decision, I moved a lot growing up. I I had moved a lot before. How and why that particular decision, you know, led to this spiral of anxiety, I'll never entirely understand. But for most of 2015, I didn't leave our basement apartment without headphones in, distracting me with four hours of mic and mic radio. It's the same hour on repeat, every hour. I was a knot of anxiety that was entirely unfamiliar to me, crippled by a fear that I couldn't trust my own mind, my own body. I was at this point a part-time pastor at a small church plant in D.C. I remember grabbing coffee with like a new visitor and answering questions, meeting with them, you know, talking to them about the church, when out of nowhere, I started having a panic attack, and wondering if he could tell, I don't think he could, I got through that meeting, opened up my computer, and looked up, you know, the list of therapists that were covered by our insurance, and I just started calling them one by one to set up that first appointment, and... I you know, called this lady that I would eventually start seeing for a little while. It was my first professional experience with therapy. And she, she told me she could meet me in two weeks. And I was like, I can be there in 20 minutes <laughs> if you've got any time. But I made that appointment for two weeks, and that gave me some peace. I don't know if my anxiety told me that I didn't believe in God, or perhaps it was doubt and disbelief that triggered my anxiety. A little bit of a cart and horse that I'm unsure about, probably some of both. Either way, the faith that I had built my entire life upon eroded with every anxiety attack. In between the anxious moments when my body would reset, I tried to patch my faith back together. I read, I talked through my doubts, usually out loud with myself, sometimes with other people. I watched debates on YouTube, I looked for different books to read, I scrambled to hold my capacity for faith together. I had gone to a, I was a, I was a pastor's kid. We had also been missionaries for a while, so I was also kind of a missionary's kid. I'd gone to a Christian high school for four years and excelled at all the things a future pastor is supposed to excel at. I went to a, the RCA college, Hope College, where I majored in religion and minored in ministry, literally. I went out to California to be a youth pastor, the appropriate First job to be a pastor while I, was cur- while I was pursuing my degree in mastering the divine. I got married, and even my marriage, right, like, like our marriages, you know, are built somehow on faith. Faith is a huge part of them. It's a huge part of our wedding. But in January of 2015, during my fourth year of seminary, as we contemplated this silly move to Chicago, My questions and anxieties and doubts caught up to me. When the anxiety faded, I pushed myself to keep going and put distance between me and these fears, but the panic always caught up. And when I looked at jobs in Chicago, I wasn't looking at church jobs. Who was I to assume I could be a pastor? I couldn't really call myself a Christian. But in a moment of reprieve from my anxiety, I I looked up RCA churches in Chicago I might as well finish my seminary requirements and at least, you know, at least finish what I started here. Get ordained through a denomination that I grew up in, and I found one church. This church. So I I sent an email to whatever address I found online, and Bob got back to me. And maybe the most miraculous part of this whole story is that I found an appropriate email online, and um, someone got back to me. Now that I'm on the inside, I am like, "That is, that is the Lord's work right there." Um, <laughs> maybe it was Anna Karaf. I, I don't know. I don't know how it all happened, but it happened. Bob got back to me, and and, and we set up a time to have a conversation. Um, I was I was really fed up with the language of being called, and really really tired of this, of, of particularly listening to people in seminary. Maybe it was because I was like having my own internal sort of like frustration around this. I didn't have the peace that some of the pe- people had. But it, f- it felt like if you just said you were called, you could kind of get away with anything. You could justify you know, whatever path you want to go on if you're called to it. Um, and I was really tired of that language and frustrated by it. Um, uh, and then Bob called. <laughs> and uh, we talked for over an hour, as you do, with Bob. Um, And honestly, I don't remember a single thing we talked about. But I remember that when I hung the phone up, I said, wow, what a call. And I caught myself using a word I had just sworn off. The summer um, before I moved to Chicago, sort of at the height of my anxiety, Around faith, around this time when I had this conversation with Bob about, you know, maybe coming to Grace and interning and what Grace was like and what I was interested in and what I had done, and uh, I also came across this this line from James Brownson's book that I, I'm you know I've quoted like a hundred times here, but I'm just going to read it again. Um, I, I came across this line: as long as you're examining your own consciousness, probing whether your faith is strong enough, you'll never come to true faith. You'll be endlessly absorbed in introspection and all you'll discover on that road are deeper levels of self-contradiction and ambivalence. It's only when you take your gaze off of yourself and place it instead upon Jesus Christ that the fog of anxiety will lift and you will see clearly. And this passage leveled me. My faith really felt like it was failing me this passage reminded me that Jesus hadn't failed me, that Jesus was still faithful. And in a new and truer sense, I trusted Jesus for the first time because I couldn't trust the strength of my own faith. So when we finally moved to Chicago seven years ago, I was full of anxiety, and in a very real way, I did not know if I could be a Christian, and I certainly didn't see a way forward for, you know, long-term career in the ministry. But I discovered pretty quickly that I was in good company at Grace. The broad strokes of my story, highlighted by Carly's communion reflection, are not unusual here. And like so many others in this space, this community has a, been a part of God, continuing to reconcile me to himself. At our best, we are a church of people who have given up pretending that we have a firm grasp on God. But we have not let go of a certainty about what we hope for, which after all is how Hebrews defines faith. Having let go of a confidence in ourselves, we find ourselves caught each week by soft, broken hands at this table. And for the past seven years, uh, you know, this place, this people has been a rehabilitation center for my faith. Because I found here a community that embodied what that passage from Brownson articulates in words. Centering the hospitality and strength of God in Christ. Rather than the strength and confidence of a person or of a pastor to follow. So for the past seven years, I've got to think about what it is that makes grace, grace. And we attempted to name some of those things a few years ago in in what we call the branding exercise, where we came up with the tagline, Christ at the center, Chicago all around. And then we came up with four values that we think are really unique. And I want to say them quickly, because this is not just branding. These These are the reasons I'm still standing here preaching. The first two go together. They're centering worship around communion and giving and receiving God's hospitality. We talk about centering communion all the time. Grace centers our worship around communion. We preach after communion, which is pretty unique. And if you, you know, if, that, that, that may simply sound like we're moving around sort of the liturgical furniture, but the room's basically the same, but it's, it's not. It's more than that. If you aren't ready for communion in the middle of the service, it comes as an interruption. Right in the middle of an otherwise perfectly fine order of worship is the rude sound of a chair being pulled out from a table. God has pulled up a chair for you to eat with him. Right in the middle of church. That's the most important thing that's going to happen in any service. For Judas the betrayer and Thomas the doubter and Peter the denier and Martha the perfectionist and Mary the whimsical and Tabitha, Tabitha the dead. Wherever you are, every week, the thing is God pulling a chair up for you at this table. Because we center communion, we center the giving and receiving of God's hospitality, and we can say with confidence that you can belong before you believe. You don't have to wait until you have the confidence of Martin Luther or the kindness of Mother Teresa to belong to this community. Because your belonging isn't conditioned by the strength of your belief, but the strength of Christ's faithfulness on your behalf. What is not centered was also redemptive for me. I am not centered. The quality of my worship is not measured by whether my heart rate is elevated or my hands are raised whether I bring with me joy or sorrow, the quality of participation isn't measured in how well you comprehend the sermon or how well I preach it. It isn't measured at all because the center of the service is the hospitality of God which pours forth from this table like the sun's undiscerning light, striking anything and everything in its path. So centering worship around communion, giving and receiving hospitality of God. The third value we named was probably the most confusing one when you just read it. It's embracing freedom for human flourishing. Such a grace phrase. It's like we, we did this branding to like come up with really easy language. And then you know, embracing freedom for human flourishing, which is short, but what does it mean? It meant that I didn't need to be anxious about sounding like a proper Christian. There is not one particular Christian form that people are expected to fit into at Grace. Neat and tidy are not values here. In fact, you are all very wary of preachers that sound like preachers. Embracing freedom for human flourishing means that two people sharing this table shouldn't look like each other or sound like each other or even agree with each other, only that they should love each other. And one of my favorite images that Bob offered um, on on this theme was his image of... of, um, how do we imagine God watching us? And do we imagine God viewing us sort of through the lens of like a security camera or, or even worse, through like the sight on a gun, right? Like like waiting for us to expose ourselves, waiting for us to screw up. And God's always watching and we sort of imagine him with this security camera on us. And he said, it's it's not, that's not the way God looks at us. God is much more like the grandma with the camcorder who's, You know, trying to get footage of their grandkids because she's so proud of them and she loves them so much. God loves us best and God knows us best, and there's room for God's Spirit to be uniquely at work in each human life. So, centering worship around communion, giving and receiving God's hospitality, embracing freedom for human flourishing, and finally, cultivating community that feels like family. No one of us believes as much or as well as all of us do together in community. That line is uh, on our website. It's from Luke Timothy Johnson. I still don't know who that guy is, but we say that line a lot, and it's absolutely true. Carly spoke to the community um, aspect quite a bit. I won't say much about it. Um, Just that, you know, this afternoon, we'll have an opportunity to be at at Matt and Tiffany's, and test the capacity of that new house. Uh, and and um, you, you are all welcome to join us. Um, for it, It's sort of a sending off party, but even if this is your first time at Grace, you'd be an honored guest. Uh, we'd love to have you there. Um, you know, we, we get to taste a bit of that community at events like that. Next week when we camp together too, but this community that feels like family was also on display when We disagreed about masks and vaccines and how to meet. And we still brought each other food and texted and called and supported each other. It was on display when we voted differently or disagreed about how to school our children. But we always showed up and served each other communion and offered each other the bread and the cup. When people here were moving to Australia... um, Uh, most, uh, right now, most people assume that it's sort of like a protest move, that we're like, we're out of here. That's what, that's like pretty common right now. And that's not why we're moving. (laughs) If we're not moving in protest, there are advantages, but that's not why we're protesting. That's not why we're moving. Um, And when when people who know me um, know that I'm a pastor, they will often assume that I'm burnt out and I'm tired of being a pastor and I'm just, I'm just done with it, um, and that, you know, when I, and it, which is a fair assumption, a lot of pastors are, um, a lot of pastors have quit the last few years. There's a lot of burnout, um, so it's, it's a fair assumption. Um, but I showed up to Grace pretty broken. And, um, I'm not burnt out, and, uh, to be preaching here seven years later, and to be able to say that, and to be talking about being a pastor again in a new context, um, is, is just, uh, it's, it's my testimony of God's faithfulness and uh, of the importance of a church that centers God's faithfulness. And, um, you know, uh, this Colossians passage, which I have totally ignored up to this point. Um, let's start, let's, uh, let, let's get into this Colossians passage, you know. Um, no, this, this Colossians passage is, is a sign for the lectionary, and as I was sort of, you know, writing these reflections, kind of prioritizing these thoughts, I, then I had read back through this Colossians passage and thought how, how you all have, have done for me, um, I think, what Paul is, is doing here for the Colossian church. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus, continue to walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith... Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, do not let anyone condemn you. Do not let anyone disqualify you. But hold fast to Christ the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with the growth that is from God. Christ at the center, Chicago all around. Amen.